Hello and welcome to Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. And this is Credo, our program, which uh, looks at a theological topic or um, something based on scripture. It is a time to be nourished in your faith. And um, here at Radio Maria, we strive to be faithful to the church's teachings and um, to present to you the the teaching, not as we see it, but as the church um, presents it. So today we have uh, the privilege of of continuing in a series begun by Father Brendan Siri, who is with us right now. Hello, Father. Hey, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, lovely to see Great. you again, and um, and to Likewise. to be continuing with this with this series. And it seems like we've got a a nice um, strong connection um, at the moment. So. All should be well. Uh, tell me, how is your Easter tide going currently? It's it's going really really well. Um, yeah, it's great uh, listening to the Acts of the Apostles uh, through the through the readings, um, kind of hearing about the early church and and being able really, I suppose, just to to um, to resonate with the early church as well. I think sometimes we think that some of the the difficulties or struggles we're facing are are new, but it's good to or it, I certainly take great solace from knowing that the church also experienced. Uh, kind of uh, teething problems, I suppose, about how to how to discern God's will for the church. Um, so it's it's it's, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm mm. loving Easter side. It's always great to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And uh, today is the feast of Saint George. Um, of course. And I wonder, have you done anything special, or is this just another day? What? <laughs> well, no, do, do you know what? So, um, so I was quite keen. Um, I obviously um. Even though I mean, from last week, I've just taken over being parish priest here um, at Our Lady's Church, Our Lady Help of Christians in Luton. And um, one of my big things was to to celebrate the four patron saints of our islands. Mm-hmm. So we had a uh, a big kind of like um, kind of like solemn mass uh, with kind of like kind of a celebration type thing for Saint David earlier in the year. The same for Saint Patrick uh, with our Irish uh, parishioners. And today, yeah, we had a we had a, a sung mass at lunchtime. And this evening, we're having a um, a beautiful solemn mass uh, with refreshments and everything English over in our parish centre. So there's um, whatever's English, we're basically trying to eat, so clotted cream and stuff like that. So. Oh, good. <laughs> Lovely. It's a good thing that this feast falls in um, in uh, Eastertide, although I suppose it's a solemnity, so we would have had to... Um, would have been able know, to celebrate at, anyways. At, at least this way we didn't feel guilty celebrating it, right? Because I think even like, St. Patrick's Day, like that fell in in, uh, in Lent. So I was like, oh, I'm not sure we're allowed to. Even though we are, but like, oh, it's, yeah. it's a bit of guilt. And then also <laughs> you have your resolve that you're trying to follow in and, and um, breaking That's it right. doesn't make that, doesn't really make it very easy, does it? Um, <laughs> kind of becomes more difficult. Absolutely. Yes. So you've got two things you want to talk to us about today. Um Tell us. Yes. Do, do you want to go straight in? Are you? Do, uh, can we begin with the prayer? Are we? Are we ready? To yeah, roll? of course. And then, um, yeah. Then I'm. I'm very happy um, to to introduce and uh, perhaps just journey together in, in deepening our love for for Christ and the Church. So Wonderful. yeah. So, so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in our time this afternoon, we ask you to pour your grace upon us, to open our hearts, to listen to your words, to to grow in our knowledge of the faith and by extension grow in our love and our relationship with you. And today in a special way, we ask for the intercession of St. George to help us uh, like St. George heroically defend the church and continue to proclaim Christ risen from the dead now and always. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Yeah, so um, firstly, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for inviting me. Again, that's obviously a good sign, which is always, which always nice, so thank you for that. Um, last week, we explored or we reflected on that kind of that universal call to holiness. Firstly, what is what is holiness um, and kind of uh, kind of getting rid of the idea that holiness is for kind of set people or set vocations, but rather is a call, a challenge for every single one of us. And then we finished by kind of exploring the the, the major types of vocations, uh, kind of priesthood, religious life, single life and married life, and the ways in which each of those vocations is a call to love, to bring God's love to all those whom we encounter and to to sanctify the world around us by doing ordinary things with with them, extraordinary love. So today I thought it would be really good for us to reflect on ways in which uh, through the sacraments we're sustained and strengthened uh, in that mission to become saints. And I thought in that light, it would be good for us to reflect on the teachings, the church's teachings on the Eucharist. Um, St. John Paul II described the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm sure I don't have to uh, describe how for for many Catholics, certainly in kind of research or t uh, statistics or kind of a pew analysis is kind of belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is, is at an all time low. So it's good for us to reflect on the teachings that Christ gave us, that the Eucharist is in fact his body and his blood, his soul and divinity, and not kind of um, a symbol or representation or things like that. And how the reality of that teaching, the reality of that gift of Christ himself, helps us, sustains us in our vocation, sustains us in our mission towards sainthood. So I'd like, um, if it's okay with yourselves, just to read very briefly from uh, John chapter 6, verse 35, uh, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then that continues when it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Those are beautiful words uh, given to us by St. John. Um, one of my favorite uh, gospel accounts of the presentation really of the Eucharist. And I think um, hearing those words, it's, it's quite apparent that Jesus isn't giving us something that is representative or symbolic of himself. Um, in fact, further on in John's gospel account, um, that we've just listened to uh, very briefly there, we hear how some of the followers of Jesus were repulsed by the idea that they had to eat Jesus's very body and his blood to be like him. And they left and Jesus then turns around to Peter and the, and the 12 and says, are you going to? And then Peter says those famous words, uh, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And um, so almost immediately, so even at the very institution or the very kind of uh, beginnings of the understanding that Jesus gives us his body and his blood, there is a reality that actually some people find that repulsive, but some people find the idea of, of kind of chewing on the very body and blood of Jesus 
to be too much. This is one step too far. Jesus is okay when he's kind of nice and raising people from the dead and you know telling people that the kingdom of heaven is for people like them. That's great. The idea that Jesus is now telling them that they have to eat his body and his blood is it's repulsive and, and, and people leave. And just on a, you'll get to know me very quickly that I like to go on a bit of tangents on occasion. Um, what is interesting is that the moment that Judas um, decides to go ahead and betray Christ is when Jesus institutes the Eucharist for the very first time. When he says, take this as my body, take this as my blood. Jesus, uh, Judas, sorry, at that point decides then to, to deny it, to, to, to betray Christ. Okay, so there's almost immediately, even amongst the 12, Judas couldn't accept that he would be receiving Jesus's body and his blood, his soul and divinity. Now, throughout the centuries, um, there have been various people who have argued uh, that actually it's symbolic. What we have or the Eucharist is just a gesture or a representation of, of the Last Supper. Okay, um, a few days ago, I was very privileged to um, be invited to give some input to some uh, young men uh, preparing for confirmation from Eton College. Um, and I had the privilege of listening to a really holy priest. Um, it's always good listening to holy priests. It's better than listening to myself, which is good. Um, but he was, a, he is a Norbertine. And uh, St. Norbert is known as the apostle of the Eucharist because when he was around in the kind of the early Middle Ages, there was a, a kind of a heresy, essentially. And like, we might be thinking, gosh, why is he using the word heresy? That's a medieval word. Heresy is essentially a denial of one of the teachings that Christ has given to his church. It's, it's a rejection of a teaching. It's a denial of that teaching. So that's what we mean by, by heretic or heresy. So there was this heretic, this person who, who, who basically went to the tabernacle in his church and threw the consecrated hosts on the ground and told the people around him that they should do the same in their churches because this wasn't the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. It was just symbolic. It was a gesture, nothing more. Okay, nothing more. St. Norbert, however, was sent uh, to Antwerp where this took place to, to counter that, to counter that and to actually proclaim that, no, that in those words of St. John, Jesus gives us his very body and his blood, his soul and divinity. It is not a symbol. It is not anything else but himself and he was one uh, he was able to win back people um to that belief and a few years later we had the institution of the solemnity of the or the feast of corpus christi corpus christi um thomas aquinas that great uh, theologian um was asked to compose the 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 prayers for the mass for corpus christi um and those words are beautiful if we get a chance uh, just read some of thomas aquinas's um, poetic reflections on, on the Eucharist and the real presence of, of Jesus Christ. And again, the church felt it was important to do that in order to continue to, to, um, to teach the faithful, to teach us that what we receive at Mass is Jesus's very body and his blood. Um, it is not a, a symbol or anything else. And I suppose we only look at the kind of um, the history of our church Right, the history of, uh, of, of our church, especially in relation to the teachings on the Eucharist. And what we have is we have a continuing affirmation of the sacredness of the Eucharist and the reality that it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. There have been countless um, miracles associated uh, with, um, with the Eucharist. Um, if it's okay, I'd like to share maybe one or two stories just to illustrate that, uh, if that's okay. I remember uh, my uncle studied in the Beda College um, in, in, in Rome. 
and um, some of his uh, classmates um, during the summer, rather than return home, would um, would stay and kind of act as tour guides essentially around St. Peter's uh, Basilica. Um, and he, there was a story going around that there was this one guy who was showing this group of, of kind of um, tourists around. They weren't interested in the religious um, elements of St. Peter's Basilica, right? They were just there for the arts and the kind of the, the historical significance of, of that beautiful basilica. So, of course, um, my uncle's friend was like showing them and saying, you know, this is the theater, this is the such and such, such and such, all the beautiful sites. If you remember St. Peter's, all of these beautiful things around. And they were walking past the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. Now, of course, my uncle's friend uh, was thinking to himself, well, you know, they're not going to be interested in there. So they, they walked past quite quickly. Okay. Um, so they got to the next stage and my uncle's friend looked back and saw um, this this man just, just kind of staying there, standing there. And so he rushed back and said, oh, is everything okay? And and then the group kind of followed him and they said, oh, you know, well, well what's happening? Why are these people kneeling here in particular? Why not everywhere else? Why why here? Um, and my uncle's friend tried to, tried to kind of um, surmise 2,000 years of, of kind of... Uh, Eucharistic teaching, right? In, in in a few words, saying, "Oh, well, this is this is where we as Catholics believe, you know, it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and He's truly present." And uh, you can imagine, okay, trying to, you know, kind of explain it in such a way that obviously you believe it yourself, but you're just conscious that the people in front of you um, aren't on kind of gospel greedy necessarily, right? Okay, so it's like, okay, so let's move on to you know um, something else. Okay, fine. So they carried on walking again. My uncle's friend looked back, um, and this this person was now kneeling. This person was now kneeling down, right? So he rushed over, assuming he'd like had an accident or tripped or something. It's like, is everything okay? And the man looked at him and like kind of with tears in his eyes and said, if what you said is true, I would never leave this place. If you're telling me that Jesus Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, this is, this is God um, who became man in order to redeem and save every single person, past, present and future, continues to abide, continues to humble himself by allowing himself to to respond to the call of the priest to make himself present. All of this stuff, like, this is incredible. Like, why why is anyone else moving around the Basilica? This is the most beautiful part of St. Peter's Basilica. And, and that's true. And that's that's the reality. I think it was St. Maria Escriba who said that the tabernacle is the beating hearts of every, every single church, every single church. Um, that's why... Um, Okay, I mean, it's controversial, right? But, you know, I know that some of our churches have tabernacles at different parts of the church. Some are in the side, some are wherever. I'm very fortunate here in Our Ladies that the tabernacle is at the very center of the sanctuary. And there, there, is, a, there is a beautiful, um, powerful message in that. It's saying that actually, who is the most important person? It's, it's Christ. Christ, it's, it's Christ-centered. Jesus is at the very center of the church of Our Ladies and by extension of our parish. And... He is present amongst us. He's present amongst us in the Eucharist. And what an incredible gift that is for us Catholics, right? That we don't have a symbol. We don't have blessed bread or blessed wine. Okay. I'm, I'm always, um, I'm very pedantic because I think, um, you know, what we say is helps with what we believe. So sometimes our extraordinary ministers or, um, or just a few other things, you know, they, they kind of just say to themselves, oh, you know, um, you know this is before the pandemic, before COVID. Uh, when we distributed the the sacred blood in the chalice, um, they were saying, um, you know, Father can, um, you know, so and so is going to going to distribute the wine today, and so I said, oh, um, we don't have wine, and of course I said, oh, uh, 
but we had wine yesterday. I said, no, no, we, we never have wine at mass. And they look at you and said, no, it's the, it's, the, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we might be thinking, gosh, like what a pedantic priest, right? We, we know what's meant, we know what's meant. The reality is that it's really important for us to, to say that every single time, um, because the danger is that if we say, oh, you know, I'm distributing the bread today, I'm distributing the wine today. Um, the reality is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon those gifts at the, at the prompting of, of the priest, when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit to make um, Jesus present on the altar, okay, that bread, that wine, in the words of Thomas Aquinas, um, appear as bread, appear as wine, but have been um, substantially, like have been changed to such an extent that they are now the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. So at mass, we receive the sacred host, we receive Jesus. Um, at mass, we, we drink from the chalice, we drink the precious blood. Um, as extraordinary ministers or ordinary ministers of Holy Communion, when we distribute Holy Communion, uh, we are distributing the body and blood of, of Jesus Christ. And, and it's like, again, uh, like just for a second, okay, let us reflect on the magnitude of that. Let's just reflect just for a few minutes. Jesus Christ, the second person of the most Holy Trinity, God, who created everything in a blink of an eye, continues to show his love for us not only 2000 years ago by becoming one of us in order to die on that cross and to rise again and to restore us to, uh, to be heirs to the kingdom of heaven, okay, which in itself is incredible. Uh, it's an incredible example of the love that God has for us. But Jesus Christ continues to make himself present, continues to humble himself every single time the mass is offered. And I mean, if we ever uh, need to be reminded of the incredible love that God has for us, let us just think of that for a few moments. Okay, Jesus comes to us every single time we receive him in Holy Communion. Every time we we adore him in adoration, he is there. He's been waiting for us, again, in the words of St. Josemaria Escriba. Jesus Christ has been waiting for us for 20 centuries. Okay, he continues to wait for us because he wants to draw us into a relationship with him. And I think that's really powerful for us to to be reminded, firstly, of the truth of that. Okay, the truth of that, that, that is true. Okay, um. Again, just on a little tangents, uh, you're probably sick and tired already of my little kind of like off off piste uh, stories. But you know that there are countless uh, small miracles. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the one of the the priests from Central Europe uh, in the Middle Ages who had kind of l lost belief in the real presence of Jesus, right? And uh, one morning, you know, he was asked by some fellow pilgrims um, to offer mass before they arrived at the Eternal City. Um, and he did. And during the course of the mass, the, um, the sacred host began to bleed, began to bleed uh, blood, um, almost to affirm this priest that actually this is the very body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. There's also uh, been examples, I remember um, hearing a story once of um, kind of a, a host that had, um, a, again, in the similar story, uh, bled uh, blood, you know, and a fragment of the sacred host was sent off to a laboratory with no explanation, essentially just said, you know, to, to do an examination. And uh, what was then discovered in the course of um, the kind of uh, the examination was that um, it was it was believed to be the, the, the flesh of a, a man in his early 30s who had suffered uh, extreme kind of torture and persecution, um, who had bled profusely and who, who had died um uh, in kind of tragic circumstances. So, so, so again, it's, um, but again, the, again, the, one of the other uh, miraculous things of that was that again, the, the blood was 
the blood was living blood in the sense that it wasn't clotted, but like it was kind of fresh blood in, in that sense. And um, again, you know, we, we hear these uh, miracles. Um, miracles are incredible in the sense that they can, they can sometimes help us or affirm us in, in our faith. But the important thing is just to reflect on those words of Jesus Christ himself. This, this is my body. This is my blood. Jesus didn't say this is representative of my body and this isn't this isn't my body this isn't my blood he he said this is my body this is my blood and I think it's really important for us to to hear those words of Christ himself um and again when when some of the followers left Jesus because I I suppose we tend to think of uh, Jesus being surrounded by 12 disciples and that's it he the reality is that Jesus would have had a a kind of an entourage with him okay there would, there would have been quite a few people the, the 12 were the inner the you know the, the the inner sanctum i suppose um but he would have had others now when jesus gives us that, that teaching some of those people have had enough this is it this is this is one step too far jesus okay nice guy nice teacher great this is too much you're, you're claiming to be the son of god you're saying we have to eat your your your, your body and blood we can't do that we can't do that now jesus you know like anyone trying to kind of um court public opinion okay would have said oh no guys you know listen what I, listen you took me wrong right what i really meant was that you know if you think it's me great if you don't think it's me that's also great whatever you think is fine okay just like just stay and be my friend okay jesus did not say that jesus did not say that when those people left now again they would have been with him some maybe for a few months some for a few years during his public ministry jesus did not say oh this is representative jesus continued to say and in fact he asked the 12 he asked the 12 he said where will you go where will you go as in now is the challenge now is like, i'm going to say to you like this is this is what this is what it is to be a follower of mine to share in the kingdom of heaven that i will win for you with my victory over sin and death on calvary and the resurrection i will continue to give you the strength and the grace through the sacrament of my body and blood where will you go because in order for you to be a follower of mine, you have to chew on, on my body. You have to drink my blood. And again, just um, as an aside, you know, one of the early kind of accusations against the um, uh, Christian church was that they were pagans. Uh, uh, sorry, that they weren't pagans, sorry. That they were, um, sorry, they were eating, um, they're basically cannibals, okay? Because they, they were eating the body and blood of this, this guy called Jesus, okay? This guy called Jesus. So even from the very beginning, there was an understanding that the followers of Jesus Christ were eating the very body and blood of, uh, of, 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 of the Savior. Now, why is this important for us? Firstly, it's important for us to, because it's a reminder of God's incredible love for us. Okay, that's first and foremost. Jesus continues to humble himself. Jesus continues to humble himself and even suffer um, at the hands of those who, who, who commit sacrilege against the sacred hosts. Okay, I'm sure we've heard of terrible, terrible stories of the sacred host uh, being used in, in what's known as black masses or, you know, kind of um, trampled upon or whatever, you know, hideous, hideous things. Okay, Jesus continues to humble himself. Why? Because he wants to give us the love that will sustain us and help us become saints. Okay, that, that's, that, that's, that's essentially at, at, at the core. Okay, he wants to nourish us. Um, to become more and more like him. You know, I'm sure uh, those of us who are old enough uh, remember the kind of the government thing of um, you are what you eat, right? So if you eat healthily, you're going to be healthy. If you eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we're going to become like Jesus. Okay, we're going to become like Jesus. Yeah. So he he gives us the Eucharist um, in order to to manifest his love for us. 
and also again linking into that universal call of holiness that kind of exploration we did um, we looked at last week it's to sustain us and strengthen us on our journeys towards sainted uh, I think um, I'm probably got this wrong I think it was St. Pius X or maybe St. John Vianney okay a saint nonetheless who said uh, the shortest way to heaven is, 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 through the, it's, is through Holy Communion in Holy Communion uh, we not only adore Christ ourselves um, you know here on earth but we join the multitude of the angels and saints um, I'm sure some of us would have seen that incredible video released by an American diocese that kind of describes what happens at mass and, you know, it's the angels and saints, you know, whether it's uh, one elderly priest, you know, saying a holy, holy, holy himself, that's not, you know, the reality is that he's not alone, but he's surrounded by the angels and saints and all of our loved ones who have gone before us who also worship God and sing holy, holy, holy and sing with the choirs of angels. That's the beauty of the Eucharist, a manifestation of God's love strength to help us on our journeys towards sainthood and a reminder that the church not only exists here on earth but also in heaven where we are triumphant so that's uh, perhaps a good time for us to to uh, to pause um before we explore how the eucharist therefore that that manifestation of god's love that strength in order to help us on that journey towards sainthood leads us um into the moral life um and the the challenge of the moral life um as part of a relationship with Christ. So we'll explore that um, after our song just now. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My
defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Thank you for um, continuing to be with us. Uh, a few moments earlier, we explored um, the Eucharist and the way in which. Uh, the teaching of our of our faith is that is is not a um a, a kind of a symbol or a kind of a, a presentation but rather the real body and blood of of jesus christ and how that um sustains us or strengthens us even on our journeys towards sainted and so what i'd like to do now if if it's okay i hope so because that's what i'm going to be talking about is about um the moral life of the church okay um the moral life of the church and what that means um, as part of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you probably heard, like you probably hear the words, the moral life and think, oh gosh, you know, this is legalistic Catholic stuff, right? That's what we do. We like to have loads of laws and regulations. Um, you know, I, I don't mind laws and regulations. I'm, I'm a kind of lawyer myself. So of course, um, like I deal with it all the time. <clears throat> However, the moral life is, uh, is, is something very beautiful. Um, and, it's it's essentially a way for us to grow in virtue and in holiness okay virtue and holiness the moral life is essentially how can we become more and more christ-like so again it's kind of linking back into that first talk last week of that universal call to holiness how are we to become like christ okay we know um that unfortunately due to uh, our addiction to sin um we turn away from god in fact, the word sin essentially comes uh, from a word meaning missing the mark. So again, if we have the imagery of the archer, every time we sin, we're missing the mark of being in union or communion or in a relationship with God. Okay, so sin is something to be seen as um, a, a kind of a, a sadness, uh, really, um, because it's it's not allowing us to be who we are meant to be. All of us are called to be saints. All of us are called to be great. And um, I often say to my parishioners that my mission as, as a priest here in Our Lady Help of Christians in Luton is to get every single person here and those who have yet to hear about Christ to heaven. Okay, my, my mission is in that two or 300 years, there'll be churches built to people in this parish. Okay, that's my mission is to make saints by making present Christ through the sacraments. And the moral life is an extension of that. The moral life isn't isn't a burden that is placed on our shoulders. It's not um, a kind of a restriction of, of who we are as human beings. But in fact, the moral life allows us to flourish, allows us to be who we are created to be, to be heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, um, a fantastic and prolific writer uh, who who happened to reside in our diocese. So it's handy, it's a bit of a plug for uh, G.K. Chesterton here in the Diocese of Northampton. Um, he, he, he wrote beautiful things, uh, many, many beautiful things. And he had a beautiful way um, of kind of surmising, the, uh, giving summaries of the faith, okay? And so again, he was asked about the moral life and the kind of, um, the, the, kind of the, the appearance or the apparent appearance of, of kind of the rules and obligations we have in the church, okay? So 
from someone looking outside in, the church can look very, very kind of like rule heavy. And perhaps we ourselves have experienced that. Or, you know, um, it, we think the church is obsessed with, you know, don't do this, don't do this. It's the church of no. Okay. That's what some people think of the church, uh, both outside and inside the church. Okay. G.K. Chesterton remarked and said, um, the laws of the church, the moral life as well, allows us to flourish. And he used the example, he said, imagine um, there's an extremely tall skyscraper, okay? And on top, there is an area. And on this area are beautiful places um, where we can like play and have games and like enjoy life and everything, okay? The moral life, he said, is essentially like building a small wall around the edges of that building. And then it allows us to flourish using the entire space of, of, of that top of the building, right? It allows us to, to use it, to enjoy it, not to be worrying about if we get too close to the edge, we'll fall off, okay? And he said, in comparison, having nothing like that is like not having a wall. And then what happens is that people then hide or kind of, um, kind of group together in the center because they're afraid of falling off. And he said that essentially that's what the moral life offers us, the, the, the moral code of the church offers us um, and it provides a framework for us to to be the human beings that we are meant to be to flourish as as we are meant to be now that moral life makes absolutely no sense unless it is in or part of a relationship with jesus christ okay if i turn around to you and say okay listen you know you can't do this you can't do that you can't do that you want to be like either politely say okay yeah, that's nice father thank you but no thanks or impolitely you might say some some words which we can't obviously say here okay so you might you might say that okay why why would i why would i not do those things okay the culture around me society in general is telling me that i can do these things it's okay to do these things the church is saying that we can't why because the moral life is a response to the relationship of jesus christ and just for a moment i'd like to Take as an example the um, the passage of the woman caught in adultery. We all know that story, or but so I'll, I'll just give a a, um, a kind of a short kind of uh, uh, kind of summary of that. So Jesus is dragged in essentially um, by the religious elite. Okay, those who, the, the, those those who think you know that, that the best thing is to slice bread, right? And they say, you know, teacher. This person has been caught in the act of adultery. Okay. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. What do you say? Okay. So there's lots of things to unpack, even in that first beginning. The first is, you know, uh, the court in the act of adultery. Um, adultery takes two, uh, to, but the man is not on the scene. Okay. So it's an interesting kind of uh, representation of, of, of um, how, how women perhaps are treated. Okay. Firstly. And then, Jesus is basically being set up, okay, because Jesus is the one who's proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is for the tax collectors, is for the, the, the sinner, okay, it's for those who, who aren't perfect, who don't have everything together, who don't have the, the T's crossed or the I's dotted, okay, don't have everything together, okay. What Jesus is saying is actually, you know, the kingdom of heaven is for you. The kingdom of heaven is for you. And then suddenly he's thrown in. He's thrown into um, a situation where he's gonna basically either he's gonna go against the law of Moses, and then like that's like blasphemy, right? Or he's gonna have to renounce what he's been saying and saying, yeah, you know, stone this poor woman. Jesus then 
begins to write something on the sand. And I would love to know what Jesus was writing. Uh, some kind of scripture scholars and theologians suggest that he was writing the sins of the crowd gathered around. Um, and, and we hear that people began to leave um, some of the oldest and then they to the youngest and stuff. Okay. Um, and then it's only the woman who's left. And then Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? And then she says, no one, sir. And then neither do I condemn you. But the story doesn't end there. Okay, that's the important thing. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, um, it's, it's about kind of like, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Okay. That's not what being in a relationship with Jesus Christ is about. Jesus is saying to us, I, I've got you. Okay. I know your struggles, your weaknesses, your burdens. I, I've got them. I've nailed them to the cross. I died for you to take those away in order to give you liberation. Okay, so he, so he knows that. But what's important is linked into what Jesus says to that woman and says to us by extension. He says, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a challenge to grow in holiness, a challenge to grow in virtue. Jesus doesn't say, oh, okay, you go on and do what you want. That's no problem, no bother. Okay, Jesus does say, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, I have given you liberation. I have given you true freedom. Again, just um, a bit of a uh, kind of a, an off-piste. John Paul II once remarked um, that freedom is not the right to do whatever you want, but the right to do what is right. What do I mean by that? I remember going into a class once, um, a sixth form class, and they were asking about freedom. And, you know, we have freedom, so why can't we do what we want? Why does the church or God impose restrictions on us so i said okay listen i'm a massive um massive francophile okay i love france i love their food i love their culture they're the cuisine so therefore in freedom i should as part of my love for france in freedom i should be able to drive on the right side of the road that's what the french do right so i, I should be able to drive on the right hand uh, right side of the road even though i'm living in the uk where we have to drive on the left but in freedom i should be able to do that now of course if i did that it would cause chaos, okay? Uh, given the fact that I live on a very busy street here in Luton, um, I don't think I'd get very far uh, driving on the right in the first place. But even if I did, it would cause chaos. Um, you know, the best case would be that I would cause a bit of a traffic jam. People would be like, what is this madman doing? Worst case is that there would be an accident. There'd be a serious accident. Why do I say that? Because, again, it's like in the moral life, okay? We have freedom. We absolutely have freedom. And that freedom is to do what is right, to do what is just. And that's exactly what true freedom is. In the same way, in the moral life, we have the freedom to accept Christ or to reject him. Each of those has consequences. If we reject Christ, we separate ourselves from that grace. We separate ourselves from that love that God has for us. Okay, We separate us from the life-giving sacramental grace that flows from Christ okay, and his church. That's what we do. If we accept Christ, then we have to respond. And that response is the moral life, the moral life. Now, just in case you're thinking, okay, fine, that sounds okay, but you know, people live it imperfectly. That's fine, okay, that's fine. All of us uh, are, on that, are, are on a journey to heaven, okay? All of us are journeying towards sainted. All of us are, are journeying to be with God forever in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I, go on journeys quite a lot you know whether it's just around the town or to different countries and stuff and and things sometimes go wrong 
things sometimes don't happen as, as I wanted them to happen. More so is that the case in the spiritual life, okay, in, in, in that journeying uh, to heaven, to paradise, to where our hearts um, find true rest. Things go wrong. You know, we stumble, we fall, we sin, we have our weaknesses, we have our burdens, okay? That's, that's the reality of fallen humanity. But the joy, the hope of our faith, the joy and hope that is offered by the moral life is that actually through sacramental grace, especially through the grace of confession, Christ himself picks us back up, dusts us off and says, keep going, keep going. And again, you know, just we, I'm sure many of us know this. Uh, I'm not even sure, like some people know it's a poem, some know it's a prayer, footprints, okay? It's, you know, the, the man who has a dream um, where he sees two sets of, of footprints um, and, you know, Jesus is by his side and, you know, he goes through his life and through the most difficult parts of his life, um, you know, when perhaps he's struggled or sinned or he's had weaknesses or burdens that he just, you know, there's only one set of footprints. And at the end of, of that of that journey, he turns around to Christ and says, well, where were you when I needed you the most? You were gone. And that's when Jesus says, those footprints were mine i was the one carrying you in other words the moral life isn't a case of everyone's going to get everything perfect all the time that's not true uh that's at least not true for myself i wish it were it would make my vocation and my ministry much easier if 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 i was perfect i'm not sadly however i strive to be perfect i strive for holiness i do so imperfectly but i strive and that's what the moral life is it's essentially calling us to do. It's, it's a challenge given to us by Christ to grow, to be more and more like him. But on the other, uh, kind of like it's, it's two sides of the coin. Okay, so the one side is Jesus is saying to us, listen, I want you to be like me. I want you to, to love your, your enemy. Okay, I want you to, to offer the other cheek. I want you to, to reach out to the dispossessed, the one who has no one to love, the ones on the margins of society. I want you to love them as I love them. Okay, that's really difficult. Okay, um, it's really difficult to forgive. It's really difficult at times to, 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 to show love. You know, if we've been hurt, if we've been damaged by someone, it's, it's very, very difficult, uh, if not almost impossible to, to, to do those things. But again, nothing is impossible to God, right? So at the same time, it's like issuing us that challenge to grow in holiness, to grow in virtue, the moral life, essentially. We have on the other side of that coin, we have the reality that, uh, Jesus gives us that grace and that strength to help us, okay, to help us. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He gives us the Eucharist, his very body and his blood to strengthen us and to help us become more and more like him. Even if it's one tiny step towards being like him, that's fine. That's fine. That's all we've asked to do. And the same way, when we do fall, when we do struggle, when we do sin, we have the sacrament of confession to help us back up again. And that is, again, that's the beauty of our faith is that, you know, God gives us a challenge. He calls us to greatness, but he says to you, to us, again, I recognize your struggles and your weaknesses. Now, I'm not going to call you by those. That's what the devil does. He calls us by our sins and our struggles, but I want to call you by name. So, Brendan, I know you. I know your weaknesses. I know your struggles. I'm going to give you everything you need to become a saint, to become an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And that's essentially what we should understand or we're invited to understand by the moral life is it's not a set of burdens or obligations or rules. You know, um, again, I, you know, like I remember uh, that train journey into London, um, 
yeah, a train, a train journey into London, and this person eventually sits next to me because, of course, who wants to sit next to the weirdo priest? You know, so you sit next to me, and eventually he turns around and says, you know, why, why, why does it look like sometimes that your lot, okay, us Catholics, right, are, are moody? Okay, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than, than than a miserable Catholic. All of us are called to be joy-filled people. You know, Jesus came that we may have life and life to the full. Okay, it's not that we have these rules and we have to follow them, you know, because Jesus wants us to be miserable for however many years he gives us here on earth in order to enjoy eternity. Jesus wants us to enjoy eternity this side of heaven, this side of heaven. And we do that through receiving the sacraments, through deepening our relationship with him. And the moral life, the moral kind of uh, teachings of the church are ways in which we can become more and more like him, become more and more like Christ, become more and more the people that we are meant to be. So what I encourage every single one of us is to no longer see, uh, perhaps we haven't seen already, but you know, if, if perhaps we used to think of the moral life as a kind of like a massive burden that we have to kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of just, just follow, okay? What I encourage us is to, is to see the moral life as, as the framework by which we become the free people God has created us to be. The people that before the fall of sin, before the, the, the fall of Adam, before any of that, okay, who we were meant to be. So my encouragement to all of us is, again, in light of the Eucharist, the moral life is a response to our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus turned around to the woman called in adultery and said, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. In the same way he says those words to us, I do not condemn you. The devil will call us by our sins and say that there's no point in even trying because that's all we are. Jesus calls us by our name and says, I love you this much that I died for you. I continue to give you my body and blood to sustain you. And I will help you up every time you stumble and fall. But what I want you to do is I want you to persevere and to keep on trying with every iota of your energy. So I leave you with those um there's, there's, there's words of encouragement, hopefully, um, just to reflect on on the, the, the freedom, I suppose, that is offered by, by the moral life. Um, so perhaps just to leave you with that as we move into our next music uh, break. Dragons are dead 
Let faith be my shield and let joy be my steed Against the dragons of anger, the ogres of greed And let me set free with the sword of my From the castle of darkness, the power of listening to Radio Maria and this is Creator with Father Brendan Siri. That was a really a beautiful song. Uh, tell us why you <laughs> chose it. Yeah, I suppose um I suppose it doesn't really have much to do with the with the, uh, the the topics we've journeyed with today. But of course today is uh, as as you mentioned earlier Tim is is St George's Day. Um at least in the church I know the 23rd was yesterday but today we celebrate St George and it's it's a it's to kind of a hymn song um, written with him in mind, um, and mm. I, I thought it was beautiful. It's, it's a reminder um, that all of us are, you know, called to to, to valor, to, to call to, to boldness, to be like a knight in that spiritual battle, um, mm. in order to bring others to Christ. So it's a it's quite beautiful. It has a quite nice it's a quite nice uh, melody as well. It's quite um, folky, which I quite like. We have a caller on the line. Um, Great, Radio Mary. Hello. Oh, hello, this is Helena. Oh, hi, Helena. Hey, hello. do you have a question for um, Father Brendan? I do, I do. Let me let me pull my bike over. I'm cycling, <laughs> listening on the Radio Maria Play app. <laughs> Available on iTunes and Google Play. <laughs> um, no plug there. <laughs> Father, Father Brendan. So, yeah. my son, he's eight years old, and he's receiving his first communion in just a couple Fantastic. of weeks. Thank God. And I know, hallelujah. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, well, the, the teachers were talking about, oh, it is the body. We do need to respect and, and we need mm-hmm. to show reverence. Yes. And if you are not in a good way, if you're not, if you've got sins on you, you shouldn't get the body. You shouldn't. And sure. then my, some of the kids were giving examples of, well, what if I did this? this, this? And the teacher <laughs> kept saying, oh, well, that's not a big... Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Uh, and, <laughs> and my son is a stickler for the rules. He's a priest in the making, Father Brendan. Absolutely. <laughs> a good priest and a good kind of lawyer, thank God. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> but how do I... How is there a way to be, yes, these are the rules, but not put guilt on there? Because I, sure. I know I suffer from loads of Catholic mummy guilt um, I don't want him. To, so, is there a way to no. to get him to love and, and but without the guilt of oh, I, I've not been good enough. I have to, any yeah. suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know one of the reasons why I I, I prayed and reflected um, on on this being a kind of a like uh, something for us to explore together is 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 the, exactly for that reason, right? I think there are lots of us who are who who potentially are dragged down by that sense of guilt. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have that sense of like, oh, gosh, like, you know, should I be receiving Holy Communion? I, I suppose, you know, we we receive Holy Communion 
in in love okay so 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 we're you know i, I suppose for your for, for your child it's, it's it's saying that this is this is god's way of showing how much he loves us so if we are aware of anything that perhaps you know um hasn't shown great love to god you know we want to say sorry to him as quickly as we can and it's not it's not because we want to feel bad about ourselves or it's not because you know like you know we're, we're going to the bad place right but it's just be, like you know it's, it's based on the relationship with God, and I, I suppose for, for for your child saying, listen, you know, we receive a great gift uh, in, in in Holy Communion. Um, you know, sometimes we do things which we definitely know we shouldn't be doing. Okay, we have to say sorry, uh, or we have to. Part of that relationship or that response to relationship is that we want to say sorry uh, to God for that. Um, but we do so knowing that God gives us that forgiveness straight away, right? So it's not for us to feel bad or anything. So I think it's important for us to stress that it's not about kind of um feeling bad about ourselves or miserable uh you know that as we're saying like that's the worst thing for us to be doing as catholics you know we don't need more miserable catholics right we need joyful people and we we approach the sacraments all of the sacraments in in joy and in hope and in faith so we receive jesus in love there are sometimes when we you know we, we know we haven't lived up to that call to love ourselves we want to say sorry to god for that that's why we go to confession and then we receive communion again does that sound okay Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Yes. Oh, we are. We are. We're joyful and loud Catholics, my son. Thank, thank God. And I'll be praying. I'll be praying for all of you as you prepare to read Jesus for the first time. That's great. Mm. Thank thank you, Elena. Thank you, Father Brendan. Thanks, Elena. Thank you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I think that's about all we have um, time for today. I wonder if you would uh, would end with a prayer for us, Father. Of course, I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son in Holy Communion. We pray that through your grace we may grow in our appreciation of that sacrament, that we may grow in our, in, in our faith and our belief that your Son is truly present in his body, in his blood, soul, and divinity. And we pray that every time we receive Holy Communion, we may grow in our love for you and also grow in holiness and virtue and become the saints who have called us to be. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Looking forward to seeing you again next week, same time. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you. God bless you.